is the third message out of the gospel according to Mark, and I want you to turn to Mark chapter 1 this morning. I would like to remind all of us in this room and those listening on the radio that when you're reading the Bible and you come across a story like the story we have today where people just dropped what they were doing and followed Jesus, that this book is not some religious myth. It's not... uh, in uh, the story that we're going to read this morning, uh, is a, it's a real story about real people, and it's really about how Jesus changed the lives of these folks. So I want us to begin reading in verse 14, and it says, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and Simon's brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Look at what the scripture says this morning about what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, follow the rules. He said, follow me. We're real good about reminding one another that, that it's not in the rule book. So if it's not in the rule book, you can't do it. Well, Jesus didn't say follow the the rules. He said follow after me. Now the Christian life isn't about a bunch of rules and regulations and rituals. It is simply about following Jesus. Now when you do that, salvation isn't a creed. It isn't, uh, isn't a creed embracing beliefs. Salvation isn't a, about a creek being baptized. It's salvation is in Christ Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, guess what? We want to do what he wants us to do and what he says for us to do. So Jesus didn't come primarily to heal folks, although he did heal people there. If that had been his focus, though, I think he would have built hospitals. Jesus didn't come primarily to teach, or I think he would have built schools there. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And when we follow him, that will be our passion as well. Their fishing for men means bringing people to Jesus Christ. Do you know why Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John to be fishers of men? Have you ever thought about why he did that? Because they were already fishermen. And so he says, I want you to become fishers of men. They knew how to catch fish. And so when Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, he didn't tell him to go fish for men. But Matthew went fishing anyway, but he didn't tell Matthew to do that. So what did Matthew do? He hosted a dinner for all of his tax collector buddies so that they could meet Jesus Christ there. Now, Jesus wants you to use whatever you already know to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. For instance, here's what he might say to you if this is your profession. If you're an educator, he might say, follow me 
and you'll teach eternal truth. If you're a banker or an investment advisor, he might say, follow me, and you can tell people about the best eternal investment bill ever made. And then if you're a physician, he might say, follow me, and I'll show you how to practice spiritual healing. If you're in sales there, he might say, follow me, and you can can sell the world's greatest product, eternal life. If you're a mechanic, says, follow me, and you can show people how to tune their lives into Christ Jesus. If you're a CPA, he might say something like this, follow me, and I'll show you how to help people balance their lives. Jesus talked about fishing for people to four fishermen in the scripture that we read this morning. Someone, I really want to share with you some fishing tips this morning. This past weekend, I I don't know really how to fly fish. I've tried it a time or two. I'm not very good at it at all. But I I watched a guy that was an expert at at time flies, and and he told me story after story about how he would catch fish with these little bitty flies there. So I want us to look at how we might catch some fish. And so number one, good fishermen go where the fish are located. Now, what if you're driving down Route 66 and you see a guy in the middle of Route 66 and with a fishing pole out with a line dropped into one of our potholes with water in it? What would you think about that guy? Now, I would say this. The guy picked the wrong place to go fishing. Wouldn't you say that? Because I have never seen a fish in a pothole. Now, at all, and I, I guarantee you, I haven't seen too many, I haven't seen much water in potholes lately either, but I did while I was up in the mountains. Fathers, let me just tell you, it rained every day we were there. When I pulled into camp on Thursday evening, about 2 o'clock, it was 57 degrees. And, I, it, was, and it was nice. I just want you to know, I, I brought a jar full of that cool air home with me. And so when I get hot, I'm just going to open that sucker up, all right? So, but let me just tell you, you'll never catch fish until you're willing to leave your house and to go where the fish are. If you're trying to catch a fish in a pothole in the middle of Route 66, you're not going to do that. But have you ever gone fishing with someone and you're sitting right next to that someone? This happened to me several times with my Aunt Wanda. We would go fishing at Lake Bonita when you could fish there and And uh, my Aunt Wanda could catch fish when none of us were catching fish. So when she'd get up and leave her spot, we would, all of us guys would slide over there. And we still wouldn't catch any fish. And one day I was watching my Aunt Wanda, and I watched that she did something that none of us did. She spit on her bait. And so I started spitting on my bait. And guess what? Still nothing happened. So finally, I got smart, and I said, and I was probably about eight or nine years old. I said, here, Aunt Wanda, spit on my bait. And so she spit on my bait, and I caught fish. I just want you to know there. And so my, my Aunt Wanda, she got to spitting on everybody's bait going down up and down the bank there. there. But I guess, just guess what? You know what? You might have been sitting next to somebody. They're catching all the fish. But if you don't go and you say, well, I'm not going fishing anymore. they're catching all the fish and I'm not catching anything. Well, just if you stay at home, you're not going to catch any fish anyway there. 
So you can't go fishing unless you go out where the fish are found. People without Christ, church, if you haven't noticed this, they're not knocking down the doors of the church building to get in. I want you to know during the week, they're not knocking on the door to come in here and, and to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They may be knocking on the doors for this or that, but they're not knocking down the doors of our church to get in. We must go after them. That's why the great commission of Jesus begins with the words go or with the word go. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a man who threw a party. And all the local VIPs were sent invitations. But every one of those VIPs came up with a phony excuse of why they couldn't come to the banquet there. And so in verse 23, Jesus said, Then the master told his servant, You go out to the roads and to the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. Church, you may not know this. You might not even uh, understand this, but I believe that God wants his house full. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that he wants the church full. Now, we're not talking about the church house. We're really talking about the household of faith there. There are 5,000 or so people in Tucumcari who are not yet part of the family of God. And God wants us to go after them and to tell them that God loves them. Max Lucado wrote one time, Jesus wasn't crucified in a church building over a baptistry between an organ and a piano or in front of a bunch of coats and ties. He was crucified on a cruel cross between two hardened criminals. He wasn't crucified in a nice neighborhood, but at a crossroads of the world so cosmopolitan that his crime had to be written in three different languages. He died at a kind of place where thieves cursed and soldiers gambled. And church, that's where we need to take the gospel. Number two, good fishermen understand how fish behave. I love watching the old Andy Griffith show. I, I don't care. I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched every one of the episodes, but in one of the early episodes, Opie was a little bitty guy. You know, he was just a little bitty guy. guy. And Aunt B came to visit on a trial basis. She wasn't part of the family living with Opie and Andy yet on a regular basis. And she was so desperately trying to fit in. So she, and, and so that they would like her and love her. And so she agreed to go fishing with Andy and Opie one day. She didn't know much about fishing because in the show there, she's holding her bait about a foot above the water there. And Opie pointed it out to her. And Andy was quick to give an answer that saved Aunt B any embarrassment at all. And he turned and he explained to Opie that Aunt B was such a good fisherman that she was... Well, she was fishing for flying fish and at that point in time. And that satisfied little Opie Taylor. And it was obvious that Aunt B did not have any clue or understand how fish act. Now, if we're going to reach people for Christ, we must understand the world. We need to study our culture without buying into it. And you don't have to become a fish to understand how fish act. 
You don't have to become a lost person to understand them either. And that means that we should, should intentionally make friends with lost people who don't know Christ. The sad truth is the longer a person follows Jesus, the fewer friends they have who need Jesus Christ. It's, it's obvious there. That's only natural. We love to hang out with other Christians there. But Jesus was a friend of sinners, the scripture says, and he spent time eating and fellowshipping with the worst of the worst. And the Jewish leaders criticized Jesus for eating with sinners. And he responded that only sick people need a doctor. And the Jewish leaders were sick, but they wouldn't admit it at all there. And so in Luke 16, Jesus told a strange parable. He talked about a dishonest accountant who cooked the books of his boss. He was going to get fired, but before he lost his job, he approached the master's customers and he gave them deep discounts on what they owed his boss. And he was hoping that after he was fired that at least one of those guys would see what he did for him and they would hire him there and would repay his jester. His boss, though, heard about about what this guy did and he complimented him on being so shrewd And so he let him keep his job. So Jesus summarizes the parable by saying in Luke chapter 16 and verse 8, you see it up on the screen there, that the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now notice, Jesus divided all the people of the world into two categories. They are the people of this world and the people of the light. The people are those of this world are those who don't know Jesus there. But we are people of the light. We have been, we've been shown a different way. We are, we're following a different road. So don't forget that Jesus wasn't really talking about catching fish with these four men, these four disciples. He was talking about capturing people who are and catching people who are lost and bringing them into a saving relationship with him. It's not correctly or I would say politically correct to talk about unbelievers dying and going to hell. In fact, but Jesus said himself that he came to seek and to save those that are lost. Leonard Ravenhill writes about an English criminal named Charlie Peace. When England still executed prisoners, Charlie Peace was on death row in Armley Prison in Leeds, West Yorkshire, England. On the morning of his execution, a prison chaplain was reading a passage of scripture to Charlie. The passage spoke of heaven and hell, and Charlie Peace said to the indifferent chaplain, the chaplain was just going through his routine that he did with every person on death row, And he said, Sir, if I believe what you in the Church of England say that you believe about heaven and hell, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be on my hands and my knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. You know what, church? We can get to just doing what we do. We can be in Sunday school. We can be in RAs and GAs. We can be in the music program. We can be in Sunday school. We can do Awanas on Wednesday night and youth programs and all the things that we do. And folks, and, and 
when we tell someone about Jesus Christ and we really read the Word of God, if we really believe what we read, we would be willing like Charlie Peace to just crawl across our country on our hands and knees just to tell one person about the good news of Jesus Christ. Number three, good fishermen use a variety of strategies. There are a lot of different ways to catch fish. In fact, you can use a net from a boat. You can use a trot line. You can use a rod and reel. But when it comes to reaching people for Christ, good fishermen use a variety of methods, just like good fishermen do. When most people think of evangelism, in this day and time, in, in, in my generation, we think about Billy Graham. But in this generation, you might think about Greg Laurie or someone like that today. And guess what? Those guys, Billy Graham, Billy Graham one time preached to over a million people at one time in, a, in an area that, had, that they said he preached to over one million people at one time. That's an incredible way to fish, wouldn't you think? Greg Laurie, just a few weeks ago in Dallas, preached to 65, 70,000 people at one time there and shared the good news and over 3,000 came to know Jesus Christ there. Now, I would tell you that, that when it comes to fishing like Billy Graham or Greg Laurie using these huge nets, it's like one of our com- commercial trawlers that spreads huge nets and catches thousands of fish at one time. Now, that intimidates most of us when we say that I, that, well, I'm no Greg Laurie preacher. I'm no Billy Graham preacher at all. That's true. But the first time that I ever caught a fish, I can remember it was with my granddaddy. It was out on the old Turkey Track Ranch just east of Artesia. And I can tell you that the first fish that I ever caught that I remember was on a cane pole with a bobber and with a piece of chicken liver on the hook. I remember, I remember we caught such big fish, catfish that day that my granddaddy and my grandmother had an old Studebaker and my granddad wrapped those fish that we brought home and we we're going to take them back to Artesia to, our, to where we lived and so that my mom could cook them that night and my granddad wrapped them up in a wet, uh, just a, a gunny sack there and threw them in the floorboard of the old Studebaker car. There And we rode from the Turkey Track Ranch about 15 miles uh, east of Artesia and drove into Artesia. And when we got to back to the house and we got the fish out, guess what? Those old catfish were still alive. And you know what I did? I put water in my old red wagon. And I put those catfish, and those catfish were so big that even their top fins were sticking out of the water there. And my mom came out and she said, Boys, what do you want me to do with those live fish? And you know what? I, as a little old boy, I wasn't more than five or six years old. I said, you're going to cook them. She said, not until you clean them. And, of course, I didn't know what that meant either. And so we, I, got, I got a good education that night. But let me just tell you, no two people are alike. So there is, even in this room, so there's no single approach to personal evangelism that's going to work for everybody. But there is your approach. There is your way of telling. You have a story to tell. Different people need different approaches. And the same strategy is not going to work for everyone. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul meant in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 
in verse 23. There it says, To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. His approach, he used one approach when he talked to the Jews. Paul used another approach when he talked to Gentiles there. When he spoke to the wisest philosophers in Athens, Greece, he used an intellectual argument and even quoted one of their own poets there. And over the last few months, I've been challenging you to invite people to church. We have hundreds of the truelife.org cards that I mentioned already uh, during the announcements there. Some, some of you come and you get those and, and you keep using those cards. Use them week after week. Invite people to Christ. Those cards are one of the easiest ways to fish for people. Number four, good fishermen expect to catch fish. How many of you remember the old southern comedian named Jerry Clower? Let me see your hands. Oh, Jerry Clower. Now, Jerry Clower always talked about Claude Ledbetter. You remember Claude Ledbetter? He was always from Mississippi. He said, oh, oh Claude Ledbetter was catching a boatload of fish in his old hometown in Mississippi, and nobody else was catching fish. And so this new game warden heard about it, and he just really wanted to know what Claude was doing to catch fish when nobody else was catching any fish. And so he didn't tell him who he was, and so he just took him. Uh, he said, could you take me out to show me how you fish? And old Claude Ledbetter said, sure, come on. So the next morning they got out to the lake and got in the boat and, and got out there in the middle of the lake. And old, old uh, Claude Ledbetter reached underneath his seat that he was sitting on under there and pulled out a big, long stick of dynamite. You remember the story? And old, old Jerry Clower says he lit that fuse and about that time, it was burning down pretty good. He just threw it out in the lake. And, and the game warden's eyes were about that big around. And man, there's just this big kaboom. And all the fish started floating up. And old Charlie reached underneath his seat and got an old dipping net, started dipping them, putting the fish in the boat. And the game warden pulled out his badge about that time and said, Charlie, I'm the game warden here, and you can't do it that way anymore. And, and old Claude didn't say anything. Claude just reached underneath his seat, lit that piece of dynamite, thrusted it towards the game warden. He said, are you going to fish today or not? And so sure enough, the old game warden took that piece of dynamite and threw it out in the lake there. Now, I will tell you, there, there, while I don't recommend his method, but Bubba, old Claude, was expecting to catch fish. Now, I'll tell you, if you want to light a piece of dynamite and get people to come to church or hear the gospel, there I wouldn't recommend that, but good fishermen always expect to catch fish even if they don't. They go out to catch them. Now, folks, I've been fishing enough in my lifetime that I have caught many times nothing instead of catching fish. While we were in Dallas just a few weeks ago at the SBC, we were getting these pictures from my daughter. My granddaughter caught a huge catfish at Oasis Lake, and she was leading in the competition at that very moment among the kids that were catching fish, the biggest fish, and they were going to get a, a big pr a prize at the end of the summer. And about five minutes later, said, well, and shows another picture, and Ethan had caught another bigger catfish, than Elizabeth, so Elizabeth was no longer leading the competition there. Now, 
I don't know where, the, you know, the measure of faith that it takes involved about going out and fishing. You know, you go out to share the gospel, you need to go out expecting to catch fish. Even if you don't, you're out there sowing the seed there. You expect that there's fish out there and you're hoping that they're going to take the hook. And it takes real faith to share your faith with others as well. And you're not putting faith in yourself or in your skills. You're not putting your faith in the person. What you need, but what you're doing is you're putting your faith into Jesus Christ. And so you have to believe Jesus can and will help the person you're sharing the good news with. In Matthew chapter 9, there were two blind men came to Jesus asking for help. And Jesus said, do you believe that I can do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Now, if they hadn't believed that Jesus could heal them, they wouldn't have ever experienced, I believe, sight back into their eyes there. But their faith was rewarded with the power of Jesus Christ. And so in order for you and I to be effective witnesses, there you have to have absolute confidence that Jesus can make a difference in the lives of the people that you know. Now, if you don't expect people to accept Christ, chances are they'll never, ever accept Christ. And then number five, good fishermen, good fishermen are patient. Even if fishermen don't catch fish immediately, Good fishermen are patient. Even if they don't catch fish after the first 20 or 30 catches, throws out there. I can tell you that when my son, I was teaching my son how to fish, my son could not sit still long enough with the bait in the water. He had to reel it in. He'd throw it back out there, and then he'd reel it back in. I finally said, Jordan, you're going to have to sit still and you're going to have to leave that hook out there in the water. Now, I will tell you that that didn't make much difference to my four or five-year-old at that point in time. What would he do? He'd reel that back in, and he'd try to throw it out, and then he'd get all tangled up. And I spent my whole day messing with his rod and not fishing at all there. But I had a great time there. But I've seen folks who will... I've seen professional fishermen on television throw cast after cast, cast after cast and not catch anything. And then finally, at the last moment of the last hour, they would catch a fish. And it was worth all day of not catching one fish at all there. Now, sometimes believers feel guilty because maybe you get out there and you share about Jesus Christ and you don't see much success. You're not landing fish there. But, and you hear stories of people who've led hundreds of people to Christ. And you begin to feel intimidated. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, what he's saying is it's a process, church. It's not going to just be an easy thing over and, until you get to doing it over and over again. And let me just tell you, you're going to cast that bait out there a lot more than you're going to catch. And I promise you, but you're going to have to do it. The longer you follow Jesus and the more closely you follow him, the more he's going to make you fisher of men. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, Therefore, brothers and sisters, this is a verse that I don't like. He says, be patient. Any of you patient? I haven't met too many people who are patient. I met some people who were 
sleeping or about dead, but I find too many people very patient in this world there. Until the Lord's coming, he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. When you're fishing, patience isn't just a virtue, virtue, it's a, a necessity. There's not going to be too many fish jumping into your boat. There are some, there are some places in, in our country now that you can be going down rivers or in, even in lakes, and there's so much, there are so many carp that are in the, the lake or in the rivers. Have you ever seen those that on Facebook where their boats are going down the river 35, 40 miles an hour? And, and fish are just jumping out of the water behind them, these big old carp. And they're just, they're just pummeling these guys. And, and what I really love is these guys have learned through the years, they bring, they, in their boats they're riding, they're using motorcycle helmets because the fish have hit them in the head a time or two. And it hurts when you're going 35 or 40 miles an hour and you, about a two or three pound carp hits you about that speed there. Now I will just tell you, Not too many fish, not very many, are going to jump into your boat. A fish is easily spooked, and it will try to get away. A person without Jesus may often resist and even even resent your attempt to share Christ with them, and that's okay. Love them. Keep showing them God's love. Keep praying for them. Remember George Mueller of Bristol was a great preacher in the 1800s. He ran an orphanage that cared over a hundred, cared for over a hundred thousand children through his ministry there. He even established over a hundred schools for the kids. And Mueller was a great man of faith. And I'll tell you how, how we know this. Because in his journal, Mueller recorded that one day he started praying for five lost friends of his to come to know Christ. And many, many months after that, one of them came to the Lord, invited Christ into his heart. Ten years later, two of the others were converted. So three of the five now know Christ. It took 25 years before the fourth man invited Christ into his life. And Mueller persevered in prayer until his death for that fifth friend. For 52 years, George Mueller prayed and shared the gospel with that fifth friend. Mueller died at the age of 78 and his faith was rewarded. For soon after Mueller's funeral, the last man gave his heart to Christ. I would say that's being patient, wouldn't you? Five friends that he, the Lord laid on his heart, he prayed for. And it took well over 52 years for the fifth person to come to know Christ. I figure that most of you in this room... or are listening on the radio, you've been fishing one time or another. But I'm sure there are a few folks in this room that, uh, well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever gone fishing? Let me see your hands. Okay. Put your hands down there. Now, here's the next question. How many of you who just raised your hand have ever caught a fish? Not near as many hands went up there as it did the first question. Some of you have been fishing and you've never caught a fish. You say, preacher, that's a foolish question. If you haven't ever gone fishing, of course, they haven't caught a fish there. And let me just tell you, 
I'm going to ask another silly question. How many of you have never gone fishing? Let me see your hands. Okay. How many of you have ever caught a fish? Okay. Great. Let me tell you, if you've never gone fishing, you've never caught one, right? You say, well, that's really foolish, preacher. Well, that's exactly right. If you've never, ever went out to share the good news of Jesus Christ, I promise you, you've never led anyone to Christ. If you've never shared the good news with them, never thrown that bait out there, you've never been able to lead anyone to Christ. I've had people say to me through the years, Preacher, I've never led anyone to Christ. And I said, well, how many times have you gone fishing? How many times have you shared the good news? Let me try, tell you, you're not going to, not every time you're going to catch fish, but you got to keep on trying. Got to keep on fishing. You might, I'll just tell you, sometimes you go fishing and you don't catch a thing. But it's still called fishing, right? In fact, because you went to where the fish were. You wet your hook, as the fishermen say, you tried. I believe what I'm going to say as I close today, I believe with all my heart. I believe when you stand before God, I don't believe God's going to ask you how many fish you ever caught. I believe that God's going to be more interested on how many times you went fishing. And I'm talking about sharing the good news. I'm not talking about putting a worm on a hook. I'm talking about sharing what God's done in your life and asking someone, would you like for that to happen in your own life there? You see, He judges us on our obedience. In fact, our job is to share the gospel, whether anyone accepts Christ or not, and the results are up to God. I saw one time on the internet uh, an article on signs in front of churches. And on one of these that I saw, one sign said, Fishers of men, you catch them and Jesus will clean them. And I believe that with all my heart. There, radio commentator Paul Harvey once said, Too many Christians are no longer fishers of men, but they're keepers of the aquarium. Based upon that comment of Paul Harvey, David Dykes, pastor of Green Acres Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas, wrote a short parable that he calls the fishing society. And I want to conclude with that today. It goes like this. Once there was a group of people called the fishing society. They gathered every week to talk about the importance of fishing, but they never fished. They decided to build a big new aquarium. So they pulled their money. No puns intended there. They pulled their money and built a sparkling new meeting hall they named the Aquarium Center. Then they hired an expert who had a doctor of fishology to teach them from the fishing manual. The meetings ended with the expert dramatically casting the net into the large tank in the center of the Aquarium Center. The members rushed to the edge and were hopeful that some fish would be caught, but none were ever caught, of course, because there were no fish in the tank. This led to a disagreement among the members of the fishing society. Why weren't there fish in their beautiful aquarium? And some said specialization was the answer, so they built smaller tanks, specially designed for fish of all ages and all sizes. But still there were no fish. 
They bought the newest, the most modern fishing equipment on the market, and they elected numerous committees to operate the fishing society more efficiently. And one group regulated the water in the aquarium, and others worked to keep the glass walls polished, and others sorted and arranged the expensive fishing gear. Finally, the fishing society decided to send a few brave members to go and live near the lakes and the oceans, and they called them fissionaries. These foreign fissionaries emailed pictures of themselves standing by the water holding their catches of fish, and over the years, some members of the fishing society forgot about fishing altogether. After all, there was plenty to keep them occupied in the aquarium. Some even suggested they change their name from the fishing society to just the the society, like some of us have tried to change. Instead of being called Baptists, it's just another name there. After all, they didn't want to offend the fish. One day, a bearded stranger appeared at their aquarium. This long-haired, sandaled man claimed to be the master fisherman. He extended his hands and he asked the members to follow him and he would teach them how to catch fish with him. They noticed, though, that this man had ugly scars in the palms of his hands. Probably from fishing, they thought, and nobody moved. As he turned to leave, he said, If you never go fishing, you never have a right to call yourself a fisherman. I'm going fishing. And if you aren't fishing, well then, you aren't following me. So after their initial shock, the members of the fishing society resumed their busy activity of maintaining their beautiful aquarium. They were glad the beautiful aquarium had not been built in vain. If nothing else, it had made them feel good about themselves. Church, let me just say, if we're not careful, all we'll care about is these buildings that we're in right now. And we've got to maintain them. And I will just tell you, as a pastor, I'm, I'm all about maintaining buildings there. But if we're not careful, that's what we're going to spend all of our time and all of our effort doing is maintaining our beautiful aquarium. But let me tell you, we must be about going where the fish are. The fish, yeah, I'm going to South Africa and I I plan on casting a hook out in the water. But let me tell you, I can't do that unless I'm casting the hook out across my own city and across my own state and across my own nation. And we must use different methods. And there are certain days fish are biting on worms and other days they're biting on lures and on certain days they're biting on a certain color if you go to a lake and you ask people what are what are they in fact you can read in the newspapers you can find the the fishing report across the state every week and they'll tell you what they're biting on what they're and they'll say the fishing is either good or it's slow or it's poor or very few are being caught but the ones that are being caught are being caught on a jig and and whatever they're being caught on there. But let me just tell you, we have to use different methods when the, when the fish are biting. But the most important thing is we need to get our hooks in the water. Church, 
Last week, I shared with you that God laid on my heart that we, that we ought to try. We ought to look at trying to baptize 365 people in a year. Out of a town of 5,000. I'll tell you, that's a big, big, that's a big goal. But I believe God can do it. I don't know if you believe it, but I believe it. I believe God could, that 365 people could come to know Him as Savior and want to be baptized. And we could see God at work in a mighty way. But not only should we be praying about that, but we've got to get our hooks in the water. And I will tell you, it's going to take more than just me with my hook in the water. It's going to take more than Nathan with his hook in the water. It's going to take every one of us. And if you are not fishing, you're not following. Years ago at, in Carlsbad, I put a sign up on certain days of the afternoon on my office door. And it was just two words. It's the title of the message today. Gone fishing. I had people say, is he out at the lake? No. I was out trying to lead people to Christ. I was knocking on doors. I was gone. I've been gone fishing. I had another preacher friend who had a boat, and he named it Visitation. And so when the people would call and say, where's Brother So-and-so? Well, he's out on Visitation. He's out on a boat. They weren't lying. He was out on a boat. But I'll just tell you, you might be on a boat entitled visitation, but if you're not dropping the hook out there, every day you're out in the waters, but if you're not dropping the hook, you're not fishing. And if you're not fishing, you're not following. And you say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm 80 years old. Well, then you ought to know how to fish for the lost. You say, well, preacher, I'm only six years old. Share, the good, share what Jesus has done in your life. You can fish too. You can share the good news. So I want you to bow your heads this morning. I want you to think about when was the last time that you went fishing for souls? I would dare say that in this room, this past week, that the majority of us did not go fishing. Never shared the gospel one time. Never asked a person about their walk with the Lord. That needs to change. It needs to change. And I'll just tell you, there are days that I get so busy in the aquarium that I, and in the aquarium, there's no fish. During the week, I've got to leave these buildings, these walls, these beautiful windows, and go out to where the fish are. Do you have somebody that you've been praying for, like George Mueller, for five friends for 52 years, the last one, even after he died, finally came to know Jesus as his Savior? George's prayers were answered. When what? Do you pray for lost people by name? Make you a list. Pray for them every day. And then share. And if they're somewhere far away, folks, you can share nowadays. You can share on Facebook. You can share 
Twitter, you can do all kinds of ways. Messenger, you can do all kinds of ways of, of witnessing. If you're not fishing, you're not following. And if you're not following, you need to get it right with God. It's that simple, that easy. Father, we come to you today and we pray that you would lay someone on our hearts by name that we would begin praying for. That we would, you would forgive us for being the caretakers of the aquarium and allowing the missionaries to do all of the witnessing. Lord, I believe in this room that there could be missionaries being raised up right now that you're working in their hearts and working in their lives and you're calling them to go share the good news even across the oceans. But yet there's people in this room, Lord, that I know you're calling just to walk across the street in their neighborhood to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that this morning that there'll be some who'll come and say, I've just given my life to Christ and so I want to follow Him in believer's baptism or I need to join this church and become part of this this congregation and I then need to go out and share the good news and become fisher of men. So Lord, I pray that Your will be done in this time of, of invitation. It's in Your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. As we stand this morning and sing softly and tenderly, You come. I want you to come and take me by the hand. I want you to to tell me what God's doing in your life. We'd love to pray with you. You come as God leads.